I really don't want anyone to look at my life or look at me and think, okay, she's made it. That's perfection. I don't believe in perfection, actually. Um, I just don't want people to think that, yeah, things are easy and you wake up every day and you're like, oh, life is so fucking great. (laughs) Because... I'm like anyone else and you're like anyone Mm. else and you have good days and you have bad days and we have people that we lose and we have Mm. people that we love and we all experience tragedy and trauma in some way or another. And what I've learned as I've gotten older is you really need to respect that and the privacy that that person might, might need. I'm Alison Rice and welcome to Offline, the podcast. These are honest conversations about true self with the people behind the Instagram accounts and the teachers who help us on our way. A lot has changed since I launched Offline in September 2018. It started as a podcast and thanks to your ongoing support, it turned into a movement. Today, Offline exists to help us explore the essence of who we are and how to live, create and succeed in alignment with that. This is our true self. There's the podcast, a series of online courses I've created with our collective needs in mind and experiences that allow us to connect as a community. Visit getoffline.co to find out more or follow getoffline.co on Instagram. I hope this episode helps you on your way. Thank you for being here. I've had the single most request to hear from my next guest. Eleanor Pendleton is a pioneer. The founder of the rapidly growing beauty empire, Gritty Pretty, Elle's taken the lessons that can only be learned from humble beginnings and applied them to love, business, and everything in between. I'm so grateful for the openness each guest has brought to Offline, and Elle is no exception. We were extremely connected during this conversation, and that meant we were all in emotionally. It's not easy to discuss the stories you hold closest to your heart when you're in the world so publicly. So with that context, I'm truly on it. Here's Elle and I for Offline. Well, I would um, actually like to talk about your life before what I'm calling the excellence. Oh, wow. Because I do think it is excellent. That's my nervous rush coming out yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually don't know a lot about your upbringing. Mm -hmm. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to talk about, I I realised that we do chat sort of business and life and love and marriage and stuff a lot. Yeah but not really our stories before all of this. Mm-hmm. So what was your upbringing like? Yeah, it's interesting. I, w- I was thinking actually this morning if you would ask me this and how I would answer because I am fiercely private when it comes to my family, mm-hmm. my mom, my dad and my sister, and you will never see them in any public um, platform that I have And they are – so to talk about them, I mean, it's pretty emotional Mm. for me to actually talk about them. Mm. They are the most – like I just had the best childhood. 
I really, really did. I, I feel really, really fortunate to have grown up on the central coast. It's only an hour and a half um, north of Sydney. And I grew up in very, in what is very much a coastal community. It's a very much like a seaside town. It's just beach after beach after beach. And there's lots of people from the coast, actually. Like it's weird, in our industry. Though. Yeah. It's kind it seems of weird. like birthed a lot of like really amazing young creative women. Yeah, specifically women mm. as well. There's something in the water down up there. Yeah, I know one like famous soccer player from there, but who's a guy, but that's funny. Um, but my childhood pretty much consisted of watching my parents, who were very much working class. Um, watching my mum raise us. She was a stay-at-home mother. Same as my mum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is just, to us, yes, like a, Man. A, incredible that she gave that to us. It's such a gift. Um, she immigrated to Australia when she was 29 years of age and um, she met my dad in the Philippines when he was over there on a surfing trip. And oh, they got married. <laughs> then they were pen pals. Stop. <laughs> yeah, they would write each other letters for a couple of years. <laughs> and then eventually he wrote her a letter and said, because obviously international phone calls were so expensive. So he sent her a letter and said, would you come to Australia and move in with me? I'm getting emotional. Luckily she said yes. Um, and they got married and my childhood then consisted of mum raising my sister, my younger sister and I, and my dad worked seven days a week, I don't know, most days, at least 15, 16-hour days. I wouldn't see him in the morning and he'd tuck us in at night. Mm. And um, he's very much – he's a sale maker by trade So he produced – he had a factory and he produced sails for yachts and boats and hang gliders. Um, And he did that for most of my childhood before deciding to sell that business um, to run a news agency. Wow. And I think – I don't know. I mean, I think there's something to be said for anyone who's watched their parents go through the struggles Mm. of small business. Mm Mm-hmm. I have to try not to get emotional. I know. You may, I'll definitely cry. So here we go. I have a very, um, my story is exactly the same, you know. And I think part of what I, when I reflect back on mine, I didn't realize what I was seeing and hearing at such a young age by way of money and struggle. Mm. Now I go, wow, like you were exposed to conversations Mm. um not that I shouldn't have been but I didn't really understand at the time but now I realize how much it shaped you Mm. yeah I still don't yeah I'm probably still don't have a great relationship with money though and I would say that Mm. that's that's definitely taken me a lot of time to to navigate my relationship with money um but I yeah I mean my parents were just they worked so hard to put my sister and I through a private school but yeah, my parents. Um, I mean, they we like we didn't come from much, right? Mm. Like my parent, I had a one-income family. I grew up on the central coast because my family couldn't afford to live in Sydney, so that's mm. why my dad had moved there from Sydney. He worked sixteen-hour days, seven days a week to put us through private school, and anything that we asked for or anything that we wanted, 
he would do everything to give that to us. Mm. It's so selfless. And you, I think it's when you become an adult you realise how much they sacrifice. Being in it yourself. And, you know, my dad was the provider in my family. Um, so he, you know, made that huge sacrifice of, of putting us before himself. Um, and then my mum, my mum sacrificing her family. Mm. We didn't have the money for her to fly back to the Philippines to see her mum and, and her siblings. And certainly as a family, I, I was only able to go to the Philippines twice as a child because we couldn't afford to send our whole family there. We couldn't afford the flights, you know, mm. for my mum, my dad and my sister and I. So that was a huge sacrifice for her to come to Australia, not know a single person at all. For love. And also live in a town which I adore. I mean, the Central Coast is like, it's my home and I love it so very much. But when we were growing up, there were no Asians. No. <laughs> like, can I just say, I, w- I lived in a town where everyone was blonde and blue-eyed and surfed and suddenly there was this Asian woman and then there were these two half Asian kids and we got bullied mm. all the time. My mum got bullied because she was Filipino. We got bullied because we were half. And it was really, really rare to have a multiracial family. So in my childhood, my parents basically worked as hard as they could to provide us with a very um, nurtured and protected environment. But also the reality was is that we were very much um, bullied for just being the way we were. And I even remember, you know, going to like my local shopping centre and my sister and I just went with my dad to pick something up. And my dad's Australian, so he's Caucasian, he had blonde hair, blue eyes. And people would look at us really strange and be like, why is that man with those two young girls who have darker skin? And brown hair. And you just don't think anything of it at the time. And now I'm obviously very, very proud of the fact that I'm multiracial. Mm. But, um, you know, having a parent who's immigrated from another country definitely shaped and defined the childhood I had. Mm. Dull. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, sorry. Now, <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> hold on. Um, for that, I want to say thank you. Because that's heaps. And you haven't spoken about that before. No. Because I Googled you a lot. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I couldn't find it. Yeah. Yeah, and even now I'm like, in my head, I'm like, why have I just divulged that? That's Mm. so personal to me. But I think because it's you and you're my friend, (laughs) I'm happy to to share that. And I don't know, I think I'm also, we all can do self-work. And one of the things I have to learn to work through is a lot of what happened in my childhood. Yeah, yeah. And... Identity and I have, you know, been talking a lot about my own sort of upbringing and I did um, Lady Brains podcast. Mm. They're really great girls. They are great. I listened to Elise Tran's episode and loved it. That's a great podcast. Um, 
And, you know, it was the first interview I've ever done where someone exclusively asked me about my upbringing and Mm. life before this. And um, I lost my footing because I didn't know how to respond because Mm. it's not rehearsed because you haven't spoken about it before. And I listened to it back and I was really scared about what I said. And I remember I... I said that I came from a disadvantaged background Mm -hmm. and while I, I guess, internally felt shame, Mm -hmm. um, I also felt um, that I'd done a disservice to my mum. How are we going to go on this? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm going to move on to like some sexy business stuff in a minute. Hold on. Oh but I and I remember I said to Tony, I feel terrible because I don't want her to ever. And she wouldn't. And I don't, yeah. Anyway, blame herself because, you know, it was what it, you know, it was and she did the best she could with what. She had and my dad as well. But I saw her I think the day after it went live and I actually don't see her that much in person but we talk a lot on the phone and in text. Um, and I said to her, listen, because she said I listened to that podcast and I was like, oh, fuck, like because you don't know what they see and what they don't see too because we do so much. So you're like, oh, another Alison show, fuck, great. <laughs> um and I said to her, I just want to say I'm I'm sorry I used that word and I, do, I hope I didn't offend you. And she said, no, you didn't offend me at all. And so immediately I, of course, selfishly felt better about that, but I've reflected on how I spoke about my childhood and there's it's all truth, right, but it's hearing your own truth I think is the hardest and, you know, your story is a bit different than mine in, you know, a lot of ways, but it's also my story and it's the reason I am the woman I am today, you know. Um, and I think for you and I, we have those shared values on we can speak to anyone from any walk of life because we've been in it and we've been there. So I look at it, I'm like, it's such a gift, you know, that I I had to learn about hard work and resilience the hard way. Mm. But I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy at the same time you know um I think the thing you you I think the thing you learn or certainly what I have learned um you know as I get older is that and I've actually learned it more so running my own business than ever before is that every single person has their battles mm. and sometimes you might know of them but for the most part you probably don't mm. and you don't know if that person's mother has been diagnosed with cancer Mm. or if they're dealing with anxiety and depression or financial issues financial issues or whatever it might be health issues you actually have no idea Mm. and and I think that is something that perhaps Instagram contributes to because again it's the filtered life but I'm just so aware of the fact that every every person has their shit, mm. you know, and I have my shit, mm. and I don't, I really don't want 
anyone to look at my life or look at me and think, okay, she's made it, that's perfection. I don't believe in perfection actually. Um, I just don't want people to think that, yeah, things are easy and Mm. you wake up every day and you're like, oh, life is so fucking great. (laughs) Because... I'm like anyone else and you're like anyone Mm. else and you have good days and you have bad days and we have people that we lose and we have Mm. people that we love and we all experience tragedy and trauma in some way or another. And what I've learned as I've gotten older is you really need to respect that and the privacy that that person might might need. Mm. And this is where, you know, I've been obviously reflecting a lot about this duty of care, right, that we have as these influential women and the showing more thing. And as this podcast has progressed, it's been a real learning for me in that that we can't always share everything as well. Mm -hmm. But then how do you not make the half hard stuff trivial Mm. when there's really hard stuff that's kind of what I'm Mm. trying to balance at the moment is I've got big things going on that I'm not prepared or ready to talk about Mm -hmm. on Instagram Mm -hmm. but then everything else can look amazing Mm. because of that so it's just trying to figure out what the middle ground is and this I think is one way that I'm doing it Mm. and now you're evidently doing it with me which is amazing and you know, I think there's strength in telling our stories and I don't think it's ever going to be easy. I think, you know, we listen to this stuff back and cringe and feel pain and go through the roller coaster of it all again. But at the same time, most of, well, gosh, all of the feedback I've had, particularly having influences on this, is a lot of women have apologised mm. for ever judging. And if that's one thing, it's like, oh, my God, like that's a shift, Yeah, you know, and you don't do these things to go viral or fucking, you know, whatever. Um, I wanted it to be a resource for other women, but it's also turned into an entry point of self-reflection for the people listening. And you're like, what? This is what you're meant to do, honestly. Oh, Everything that you have done, I really genuinely feel like in the – in the very bottom of my stomach, I just feel like this is what you're here to do. And Me everything too. everything that you've learned, all the mistakes you've made, all the successes you've had, it's actually bringing you to this. Mm. I, I really do believe that. That's why I was so proud of you when you made that that, lump, that, that bloody leap. leap. Yeah. <laughs> that bloody leap that took me 12 fucking months. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, let me get on with my questions. Um I did have some more stuff. Elle's relationship with her husband, Matt, reminds me a lot of Tony and I. The love is deep and intense, and the starring role they play in our lives is pivotal to our success at work. I wanted to hear from Elle on that topic and learn more about what makes their bond so strong. Matt, your husband, (laughs) is, am I allowed to say, just like really good looking? love you Tony um just one of those ones where you're like okay I'm not sure where to look um isn't he heaven but he's also has a massive heart you know he is he's the he's my universe yeah he's not even the best person in my universe he's my universe and likewise with Tony um I was oh mate 
I have been saying like lately like the love just grows and grows and grows, doesn't it? And mm-hmm. like if I could like literally unzip Tony's skin and like step inside <laughs> and live in there, I would. <laughs> but that's how I feel. You know what? I love I'm- him so much I want to just be inside <laughs> Can you picture me like literally stepping in, like putting on Tony's skin? But he's so much bigger than you. <laughs> so I would come up to like his chest. You know, it <laughs> oh gosh. Oh. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, but Matt is a constant in your life. Yeah. And you've been together for the best part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Ten years next year. Oh my god. Yeah. Um, can you then, yes, tell us a bit about him and I guess broadly the role he plays in your life because I think like Tony, there's multiple roles, mm. you know, um, and that that's what I've felt lucky about having my mm. friend, my lover, my mentor, my, you know. Um, Paula says in her episode that um, nothing is real if Saxon doesn't know. Yeah. And it's yeah. so true, isn't it? Oh it's God. like the first person Paula you call. And Saxon are my goals. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, no, I don't even know where to begin to describe Matt, my husband. Um, it still like gives me butterflies that I get to say that word because I mean, it's only been six months, but the novelty's there. Still newlyweds. Yeah. Um, he is, he, he is the most caring, gentle soul I've ever met. And I've met a lot of people mm. just because of our, our line of work. He is incredibly selfless and he would do anything for me. He's literally my number one fan. Like, he if, is. It, like if he could get, maybe I should get him a shirt with my face on it because <laughs> he would wear it <laughs> and rock up to like any gritty, pretty event and sit front and center in the front because he's just my number one supporter. And I really don't think I could do what I do in this life without him. And I wouldn't, and this is, this is such a throwaway line to say I wouldn't be the, per, the woman I am today if it weren't for him, but it's actually genuinely true. And this is, I don't even know why I'm about to tell you this. Oh my God, tell me. <laughs> when we, it's not that nice. When we, when we got together, I was I was twenty years old, and Matt was twenty two, and it for me for me it was love first. I, I saw him and I was like, "Who is that man?" I like I I can't I just can't explain what I felt when I saw him. But when I met him a decade ago, I had come out of a very abusive relationship. My oh my, my high school first year, um, first time relationship, serious relationship, and it was very abusive. Mm. Um, and my self esteem was non existent. Like there's people who, you know, are self deprecating, but I there was nothing of me. I was completely broken. Oh my God, I thought I was worthless. I was told I was worthless. And that's how I felt about myself. So when I met Matt and we went on a few dates, I thought in my head, I created this story in my head that surely he must have been dead by some friends to date me. Oh. 
Oh my god. Because when why he, would he? Oh my god. But he would have been sitting across from you like this is the prettiest chick. You know, like No, like you it was so bad that I I had to push him away because I'm I was so certain that there was no way why would he date would me? He? That's what I kept thinking. What like why? Like look at him. Is this a joke? He's the most handsome mm. man I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and he is kind and he's intelligent. He's so smart. Why would he date me? And it's because of him that I have been able to go through a lot of self-work to find my my own self-worth and and find that confidence and find who I am as a as a independent woman. And I, and I do take credit for some of that, of course. A lot mm. of that is work I have done personally. But if he wasn't there helping me work through those challenges and obstacles that I faced, I actually wouldn't be the person I am today. Mm. So I don't, I don't say that comment lightly. Mm. Um, and I feel so great. I feel so, so incredibly grateful that I have had the opportunity and the good fortune to spend a third of my life with my best friend in the entire world. Mm, who's now your husband. I know. <laughs> He's so cute. I'm so obsessed with him. <laughs> it's weird though, right? Because when you, I remember you were telling me when you get married, well, I, I, some people say, oh, nothing changes. But Matt and I definitely feel like something shifted and it was oh, almost yeah. instant and I went from looking at him as my partner, you know, my fiance or boyfriend, you know, we owned a house together and he was my partner. And then the second we got married, I was like, hang on, you're my family. My family. And we are a team mm. and anything we do in this life, we do it together as a family. And it's so hard to describe that shift, but no. energetically Matt and I both felt that and that has been the nicest thing. I d- could not agree more and I will say it's obviously not my bloody place to comment on anyone else's marriage or relationship, but when people say to me or said to me then it's just a piece of paper, like it's just about the day really and, you know, what I would ask them now is, well, why is that? And what does that say about, I don't know, perhaps the relationship you're in or the connection? Mm. Mm. I don't know because, yeah, I it was overwhelming, you know. Um, and then, you know, the name change thing, right? Like I'd had lots of strong women in my life say don't change your name. Mm. Um, and I couldn't get around that because – I was really proud to take his name Mm. and he was elated, his little face when I told him I was going to do it. And that even just, again, like being called the same thing, you get on a flight or you go somewhere together and this, that, again, that sort of reinforcement of family. And yeah, I was very proud to take it and I'm, he has an incredible reputation. And so even selfishly, I was like, I'm going to jump on the Tony Rice. (laughs) bandwagon you know um did I get more meetings perhaps (laughs) maybe um but no I couldn't agree with you more actually um and then I'd love to know 
how you're thinking about the next stage of your life. Mm. And I ask that because I'm right there Mm -hmm. um, with you. And I think other ambitious women would benefit from hearing us talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, You're leading and building your own sort of beauty empire as I see it. Hey, she shook Mm -hmm. her head. Not true. Um, How are you thinking about babies and and I guess then broadly this concept of having it all? Um, first of all, I hope I can have children. I don't mm. know. Um, I think that's that in itself is actually a conversation a lot of women should have around um, that discussion and, and, and I personally won't ever ask anybody if mm. they plan to because I just am not sure. So firstly, I hope I can have kids because mm. to see – to be, to be a mother is something I've thought about for a very long time. I think I'm a very maternal person. Um, in my social circle, in my family, I'm the person who looks after everyone. The mother hen. And I would just, I mean, just thinking about Matt becoming a dad, actually, no, don't. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> It would be so cute. Only holding babies oh, is like kryptonite what is it? for me. Yeah, really mm. attractive men and babies just makes them even more attractive. Because they're so big and the baby's so little. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean that's definitely a discussion that um, Matt and I have really frequently at the moment um, because we're going to that next stage of our lives. I'm not there just yet. Um, but it's something I really do hope for. For me that's – I would be crushed if I couldn't have that. And mm. then I do think if I wasn't able to have children, I can take other avenues too. But in terms of how I juggle that with running Gritty Pretty, I I think because I'm a very pragmatic person, mm. I have been aware of the fact that I would like to have children probably for the last four or five years. So I have been working on growing my team and growing the business to a point where if I were to have a child tomorrow, my team is perfectly fine Mm. and they're perfectly capable and, you know, the cogs keep turning. Mm. So I'm very aware of that. Um, But I – and I think this may actually have something to do with – again, my upbringing with my mother and father because my mother was a stay-at-home mother. And, again, I'm incredibly grateful to her for that. I'm so fiercely committed to the idea of providing for my child Mm. myself. Me too. Financially, physically. Emotionally. Emotionally in every single way, shape or form. So for me – The whole 12-month maternity leave, I mean, that ain't possible (laughs) because I don't get maternity leave. Yeah. (laughs) Like, period. A lot of mouths to feed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't get that. Um, But also I'm not sure if I would want it Mm. because I love, love my career. Mm. I love my job. I love my team. And I think after – I mean, look, I I don't know how long I would take off. I I don't want to say – But I think knowing me and how I am now, I would hope I could raise my child and still run the business at the same time. Mm. 
And I have a lot of ch- uh, friends who have children and I see how hard that is. Mm. And I think I'm very aware of that and how life will change forevermore. Mm-hmm. So right now I'm just trying to enjoy my husband all to myself Yeah. before we go down that path. But it, it is something that we talk about. It's something we plan for. Um, yeah, I, I think it's something – as a family, we have to, but I, I just hope, I hope that I can be a really good working mother. Mm, me too. Me too. And like, I guess for me, leaving the big job, a big part of that was giving my um, my body and my mind an opportunity for something else, to call something else in. Mm. Um, because I couldn't, for me, see I wasn't, it wasn't set up in a way that allowed me to take time um, freely, I guess, and then also the pressure I felt to have the big return Mm. and how long and then how many days are you going to come back and what's it going to look like Mm. and to be quite frank, I just didn't want to deal with any of that. So I thought could I take this into my own hands and have some control? Because it's very different working for yourself, obviously, than Mm. having an employer. Um, You know, we talk about flexibility, but I'm not sure we really mean it Mm. when it really comes down Mm. to the crunch. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope that when that time comes for me and Tony, that I will be able to do just what you're saying Mm. and raise my baby and be there for my child, but Mm. also continue to be excited and stimulated by my ambition and my career and knowing it's going to look different and Mm. it should Mm, you know but different on your own terms I hope Um, because I do feel for women who aren't getting the flexibility they need at work and I mean I could talk about this issue till the cows come home but that's something in particular I think and you and I saw that firsthand Mm. in in the corporate publishing world is that women weren't given that flexibility. So when I realised that I wanted to grow my business and I now have six staff. It's incredible. It's crazy. Wild. Stressful. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) One of the the things I'm actually most proud of is that I have created an environment, especially for the working mothers, whereby I want it made clear from the second that they join my company that their family and their children in particular will always come first. Mm. The job comes second. And if they ever for a second need to duck out of the office because, you know, their kid's sick and needs to leave school or, I don't know, anything, anything, any issue, anything that it might be, um, you know, serious or trivial – it's very important that the women in my office don't feel judgment, don't feel guilt, and they can pick up their bag and their keys and get in the car and go to their child. Mm. And that is something that we all work very collectively to um, to encourage, but it's something I'm very, very passionate about because I worked for several beauty directors. Um, they were... I worked for three beauty directors when I was at Instar. All three had children and I saw all three struggle. Mm. And I just thought that's not fair. Not fair. 
It's not it's fair. It's not fair. You shouldn't work anywhere and feel guilty because your your son or daughter is sick. Mm. Like at the end of the day, a job is a job. I know. That's all it is. I know. That's all it is. And this is why we need more women in leadership. Yeah. <laughs> because it is about equality. Mm. Um but it's also about equality for mothers. Mm. And we need more women in leadership who are mothers or identify mm. with women who have children. Yeah. Because absolutely. it can go the other way as we know. Mm. There's also women in power positions. We've there. arrived at Elle's career journey. To recap, she interned at Cosmo before moving on to Cosmo Extensions as an intern and then editorial assistant. That role was paying $19,000 and she was 19 years old. From there, she moved to Famous Magazine as beauty editor, then on to InStyle before reactivating Gritty Pretty, the blog she started years before. I wanted to know about that specifically, how it felt for a major glossy magazine to see her blog as a conflict of interest. It sort of felt like someone was saying to me, you've got to stop journaling. You Mm. can't have your diary anymore. That's how it felt. That's so interesting because one of my questions, um, like as we think about social media and then broadly the media landscape today, like do you think that's changing now? Because, again, it's it's a threat I think is where it sort of if I really stare it down where it comes from, like employers seeing their talent turn into the talent Mm -hmm. and then trying to kind of put the brakes on that. Are you seeing that change a little bit now? Um, not really, to. so to speak. Yeah. I'm not seeing – and this is where I actually think um, – I mean, not that I've been a magazine editor, but um, I think there was a missed opportunity um, that the magazines could have jumped on. I totally agree. And I think something that has – I mean, obviously influencers and digital have added to their decline in readership and it's given. Mm. Um, but there was, there was a window there where the editors could have said, okay, this is cha- the landscape is changing. It's no longer what it has been. You know, we're not hitting those million, million a month readership anymore. Mm. And influencers are now becoming influential. So how do we make our editors, our fashion editors, our beauty editors, our beauty writers, our fashion assistants, our editors in chiefs, how do we make them also become an influencer? And Mm -hmm. I really think that there was a missed opportunity there where the magazines could have put those incredibly talented women at the forefront and created that dialogue and that that two-way connection with the reader. Mm. Because I think one one advantage that influencers, content creators, whatever you want to call them, YouTubers, Instagrammers, what they have is the ability to have a direct conversation mm. with their follower, their audience. The magazines don't actually talk to the women who go to the news agency no. and buy the magazine. Very true. Or the women who just look at them on the shelf and don't buy them. Mm. And I feel that there was, yeah, a real missed opportunity there where some of the, some of the titles, and I think there are a couple that are doing doing it really, really well through um, events and, and creating that face-to-face connection. But there was a window there 
where they could have seen what was happening. Interesting. And they could have just jumped on it yeah. and pounced on it. I remember when I first sort of get was getting to know you better um, was just after you left InStyle because we actually mm-hmm. didn't know each other when mm. you were there. And you're, I was very new. Then, right? Yeah, and I was like a very new beauty editor. Um, I remember looking up your Instagram after an event at um, that regatta down in Rose Bay, which was called something else then. Mm. But I remember sitting across from you and I remember thinking, one, one that you were really pretty. Aww, <laughs> um, two, that there was like whispers that you'd just left your job, this oh, big job. Yeah, yeah. The gossip. Uh, the gossip, uh, which I've been well on the gossip train of late. Don't worry. I think <laughs> I'm the main story. Um, and I looked up your Instagram because it was still very like kind of early then. Yeah, Instagram. Anyway. I'm trying to think when I left. I was 25 when I quit my job. But I remember how many followers you had. I, I had some Is following. It, weird? Yeah. it was like 11,000. weird. Right? I don't even know how I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I remember clocking that and being interesting like that is a platform now. Mm. She has a platform now. Like yeah. that's enough then to warrant a little bit behind you to say, well, I've got what is essentially a distribution channel mm. for whatever I go out and do. Mm. But the question I have for you is what has it felt like to, um, I guess, amass a following? Like how does that feel? My instinctual response is that I don't really have one in in terms of context and in terms of what is considered a following within the Instagram world. My following is minuscule in comparison um in saying that I'm not taking for granted or disregarding the I think it's 80,000 now Mm. the the 80,000 women that do follow me um how that feels I don't know it feels it feels deeply humbling that people trust what I say Mm. and that's something that I'm really trying to focus more of my platform on is being able to talk about other causes whether it be charity or the environment and things I'm also really passionate about I'm also very aware of you know yeah that is 80,000 eyeballs Mm. and how can I help you know, the Great Barrier Reef yes. <laughs> yeah, mm. and get what, just one of these women on board. Mm. Um, so it's incredibly humbling, I, I think. I think that's an interesting perspective actually and not, not something we've actually explored much on the podcast is amassing a following for one reason and one category mm. but then understanding once you've kind of hit a point that says, oh, wait, now I've got a social responsibility to actually do something with it. I think that's very like evolved thinking to be honest because I'm not – and I know you'll say no, but uh, there's plenty of people with bigger followings that still aren't there intellectually. So, Yeah, I think when I think of 
I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a GoFundMe page. Like, don't let me go on GoFundMe <laughs> me because all of a sudden my husband sees, you know, the the bank statements. He's like, what happened? Did you just like donate to a million different causes and people? Um, and you can't help everyone, obviously. Um, but I do. Yeah, I, I'm a big believer that you if you have any platform, be it small, be it large, 2,000 people, two people, two million people, you do have some sort of a social responsibility to use that for the better good. Mm. And I think the more, the, you know, the older I get, the more aware of that I am. And like I said, whilst I can't help everyone, I can try. Mm. And I really and think that's, that's important. Mm. That's the thing is like if you've got, sure, you've got the following – but what are you going to say? Yeah. You know? Um, well, how can you just help other people? I know. As well as run a business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Draw an income. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's also a marketing tool. I don't sugarcoat that. Um, <clears throat> how then does um, Instagram make you feel? So when you're on Instagram. On my Instagram or the people I follow? The people you follow. So when you're scrolling mm-hmm. and you're just on the platform, I guess, mm-hmm. as a consumer. Mm-hmm. I would say I feel inspired. Mm. I draw inspiration from Instagram, from the people that I follow, the women that I follow, the brands, the entrepreneurs, the galleries, mm. anything that it might be. I draw inspiration from them. I think, and this is where I, um, you know, I was talking about how much I've changed as a woman since I first met my husband Mm. (laughs) because, you know, 20-year-old Elle had like no self-confidence and could very easily look at an image of another young woman in a bikini, for example, and compare herself to that and wish she was that. Whereas now I see images of if I see an image of a woman um you know for example Tash Oakley who Mm. we've shot before um for the cover of Gritty Pretty magazine I look at her and just think gosh she's beautiful Mm, isn't she like she just looks divine Mm. and I don't want to be her I don't want to look like her because I mean I'm like a tiny in comparison I'm a small human Mm. um but I'm also really just happy being me. I'm so content being me. I'm really content with um, my life now and how I look and that's taken a long time. Me too. To to work through. To love what you see. A long, long time. Mm-hmm. And that's an- actually another reason why I'm so passionate about using Gritty Pretty as a platform to educate and inspire women that beauty and self-care, specifically cosmetics, is only there to des- it's only designed to enhance what you naturally have, not mask it, not cover it up, not change your face to the point where you are unrecognisable mm. and you can't see your freckles mm. anymore. I'm really, really passionate about making sure we can help women understand that it's a form of self-care and self-love, mm. but it's very important that you look like you mm. at the end of the day. So, yeah, I kind of just look at Instagram and I just feel inspired and I see all these, you know, incredible people and, yeah, I mean, right now it's all about Meghan and Harry, so I know. Kensington Royal. 
I'm refreshing. Fairy tale. <laughs> so good. Obviously, offline exists as an exploration of self mm-hmm. um, and how we identify with self and build character as women and what I'm kind of calling our unique female codes, which is our ethics and morals and opinions. Mm. Um, it's challenging to talk about ourselves without putting labels on, mm. founder, wife. But when you... Um, are sitting in true self, who are you? Yeah, and how would you describe Eleanor? And you were going to ask this and I just kind of blocked it out of my head so that I wouldn't prepare for it. Now I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't think about this. It'll come to me on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, wow. Um, I think I think when I when I wake up in the morning and I go to bed at night and all those labels are stripped away and everyone around me is also stripped away my husband my family my friends my staff I think I think I'm I think I'm I think I'm just L. Mm. Not Eleanor, because to those who know me closest and, and how I identify myself, I identify myself as L. I am an almost 30-year-old, half Filipino, half Australian, beautiful, intelligent. And kind human being, and that's what I—that's tr- what I think I am, and that's how I hope when my when I die, and my children and my grandchildren think about me and what they think of me. I think they just say she was ill. Mm. I think we started crying and now we're (laughs) ending this cry. Why do you do this to me? I need to give you a cuddle now. Um, Well, I would love to thank you for being on my podcast. Honestly, it's such, truly such an honour. And I just, I I know you are doing this for others. And in in doing so, you're also helping yourself and finding your true self. And I really mean what I said when I think that everything you have gone through, especially now knowing more about your upbringing and your childhood, all of that, like from day dot, from the first day that you were born to now, it's brought you here for a reason. Mm. And I, th- I, I want to thank you for being brave enough to put this together because I know that this equipment ain't cheap. <laughs> <laughs> This shit ain't easy. Um, and I think, it, yeah, it takes a very selfless person to do that. And I, I really want to say thank you because from the interviews and the episodes I've listened to, what I have learned from those women and what I've also learned about myself. Mm. I'm so scared to listen to this. I don't think I want to listen to this. <laughs> I just, yeah, I've learned so, so much. And I really, I really think that you should be very, very proud of yourself. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of Offline. Visit getoffline.co to explore more episodes, the online courses I've created to help you succeed consciously, and upcoming community events. Follow getoffline.co on Instagram and me. My handle is Alison Larson Rice. Lastly, if you know someone who would benefit from hearing these honest conversations, please share offline with them. Thank you.